We have an anchor that keeps the soul. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not, but at some point in time, somebody is going to tell your friends, your family members, that you are dead. That news could come as a surprise. It might very well be expected. But nonetheless, at some point in time, unless Jesus comes first, the sobering words are going to be uttered that you are dead. Many of us have been on the receiving end of a telephone call. Maybe we were at the hospital only to be informed by a physician, a family member, that someone has died. It can be a grave shock when it's a young person. Some, even as we would say, a young adult, cut down far too early in life. Death is a reality, whether we like it or not. I know that there are a lot of folks that would just as soon not talk about death. The thrust of what I want to discuss is not so much death, but what happens after death. What about one second after death? What then? Let's begin by, first of all, talking about our entrance into this world. Job in the long ago said, man born of woman. We come into this world the same way. People are born every day. Thousands upon thousands of children are ushered into this life on a daily basis. We understand that we have been made in the image and the likeness of God. That we are a being that is composed of an outward man and an inward man. There's a part of us that will live forever. It's called our soul, the spirit. That soul will live forever somewhere. Jesus said on one occasion, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The Bible talks about how God has created man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul in Genesis 2 at verse 7. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139, 14, that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. So we are born into this world, and sadly we are born into a world of death. The moment we come into this world, we begin to die, don't we? So we talk about our entrance into this world, and then what about our existence in the world? First, there's a birth. And then secondly, there is the brevity of life. How long will you live? Will you live to see 80, 90, 100? The Bible tells us man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The psalmist in the long ago said that the days of our years 
might be three score and ten. He said, it might be that we live to be eighty. But then he said, it is soon cut off and we fly away. And so in Psalm 90 at verse 12, the psalmist said, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, to understand that our time here on planet earth is very short. I understand we might live to be 70 or 80, but what is that in comparison to eternity? James said in the long ago that life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then he said it vanishes away in James 4.14. We are literally here today, gone tomorrow. Life gets away so quickly. The older I get, the more I come to appreciate the words of David in Psalm 37. When he said, I was young and now I am old. It's a blessing to grow old in life. And to enjoy longevity here upon this earth. I understand that life is often fraught with burdens. But there are also many, many blessings that we enjoy in life and for many of us, it's a balance. Good days, bad days, highs and lows, joys and frustrations. That's what life's all about. And yet, what's critical is, how do we live here while we're upon planet Earth? Our existence. Are we making the most of our time? Are we wise in our tour? Paul would write to the church at Ephesus, and say that we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. You better make good usage of your time. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, that those of us who live here on planet Earth, we are stewards, and that which is required of a steward is to be faithful. Are you faithful when it comes to the time God has allotted you on Earth? There are a lot of questions that we have in, in life there are a lot of questions that come our way. There are a lot of choices that we make, and some choices, granted, carry more weight than others. But there's a statement made in Matthew chapter 27 I want you to think about. Because in Matthew chapter 27, I really believe that we have, in terms of what's most important, borne out. When Jesus was being tried by Pontius Pilate, the Jews wanted him dead and they would ultimately get their way. God had sent His Son to die for the sins of the human family. In Matthew chapter 27, the Bible tells us that Pilate asked the question to those who were present on that occasion, and Pilate admitted that Jesus was innocent, but would not release Him. So he asked the question, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? the most crucial, critical question you will ever answer. What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? There are a lot of questions that may come your way in life. There are a lot of things that you're going to make choices about. But none outweigh this question. What are you going to do with Jesus who is called the Christ? There are, only two there are really only two possibilities there's no gray area. Either you will be receptive to him or reject him. The Bible really and truly, in some respects, is a love letter. 
God announcing his love for those of us who belong to the human family. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, God is love. Because God is love, God sent his son into the world to die for our sins. John would write in 1 John chapter 4, we love him because he first loved us. Make no mistake about it, God genuinely loves you. And God's desire is that you would make the choice to live for him. He's not going to coerce you, but he will plead with you through his word. Jesus would say during his earthly ministry, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And he said, I will give you rest. On another occasion, Jesus would say that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost made a difference in the lives of so many people. He continues to make a difference in the lives of people. By way of receptive, or rather by way of receiving him, what do we have to do? We have to believe that he is the son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, that is, unless you believe that I am the divine son of God, you will die in your sins, John 8, verse 24. The Lord said, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come, John 8, 21. We must be willing to repent of every sin, as Peter said on Pentecost Day, and then to acknowledge with our lips that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did, recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. The Bible says, then we must be baptized into Christ for salvation. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned, Mark 16, 16. Peter said that we are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. Paul said that he was instructed to be baptized to wash away his sins, Acts 22, 16. That's God's way to become a child of God. When we do that, God then adds us to the body of Christ. Those who were baptized on Pentecost Day were added to that divine body, Acts 2, verse 47. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Somebody might ask the question, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. There are a lot of people in the world today that say, I understand the importance of following Jesus. But I don't see why it's so important that I affiliate with the church. You have to understand that the church is the bride of Christ. Those who have been baptized into Christ are baptized into his body. And there's just one body, Ephesians 4, verse 4. The only way to get into that body is to be baptized into Christ. Unless you're baptized into Christ, you're not in the body of Christ. And you have to be in Christ to be saved because salvation is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. The only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into him. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. When we're baptized into Christ, we belong to the body of Christ. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Savior of the body. That's what you have to do to become a child of God, to be receptive to him. The Bible then says we are to be faithful until death, unto death. The promise being that we shall receive the crown of life. Only those who are in Christ have any hope of salvation. Only those who are in the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ 
have the hope of salvation. So you can be receptive to him or you can reject him. Make no mistake about it, there were plenty during the days of Jesus that heard him speak. They had the opportunity to hear the Lord speak the words of eternal life. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 6, when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then asked the question, will you also go away? And Peter asked, or Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. There were a lot of people that heard him speak, but they still rejected him. They still chose to live a life apart from him. In John chapter 5, Jesus said to the Jews of his day, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me, but you will not come to me. They choose to reject him. You need to understand the greatest question, what will you do with Jesus? But here's another thing you need to think about. There's coming a day when the question won't be, what will you do with Jesus? But what will Jesus do with you? Think about that for a minute. If you said no to him, if you rejected him, you're in a lot of trouble. I can't begin to tell you how much trouble you're in. Because you're outside the sphere of spiritual safety. You're in a condition that is identified in Scripture as lost. You are without hope and without God in this world. Some of us have been to the hospital, and we have been at the bedside of people, and the doctor has said, there is no hope. Nothing more can be done. We've done everything possible. That's a shock. Sobering words. No hope. You step out into eternity outside of Christ, you have no hope. Don't leave here tonight thinking that you're in a safe condition if you haven't obeyed the gospel. Don't leave here tonight if you're not faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and think, I'm okay, because I don't want you to leave here thinking that. Not because it's what I say, it's because, because it's what the Scripture says. So, our birth into this world, our birth, our brevity, and then there's coming a day when we will bid adieu to this world. We'll exit this world. I think about people that perform on stage. They come out before an audience of people, they perform, and then they walk off the stage. In a sense, when we are born into this world, we come upon the stage of life. We perform, and then at some point in time, we exit. I know that we can't beat death. You know that. But why is it we have in our minds sometimes that we're going to live forever? What I'm talking about is why is it that even as we grow older in life, we think that somehow, way, we're not going to die? Death is a reality, isn't it? The Hebrew writer said, It is appointed unto man once to die. After this cometh the judgment. What is death? 
Biblically speaking, death is the separation of the body and the spirit. James chapter 2, verse 26. There are some who talk about near-death experiences, and they talk about how their spirit has hovered over their body. Please listen very carefully. When your spirit leaves your body, it's not coming back. Biblically speaking, the body without the spirit is death. That is biblical death. Clinically, sometimes people are pronounced dead. There's a difference between what a medical technician or what medical personnel may identify as death and what the Bible says. Because biblically, when people die, they don't come back. John 11, verse 14, Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. Think with me for just a minute. What if tonight were your night to step out into eternity? For many of us, we don't want to think about that, but just for a moment or two, what if tonight were your final night? You've seen your last sunrise. You've eaten your last breakfast, your last lunch. You've driven your automobile for the last time. You've told your spouse, your children, you love them for the last time. Tonight's it. You're bidding adieu to this world. When you die, where will you be? One second after you step outside the corridors of this life, your eternal fate forever sealed, irrevocable. No coming back, no crossing over, your state sealed, cemented, unalterable. Where would you be? Your body has been left behind. At some point in time, it might be that the coroner will come and declare you medically dead. Your body will be taken to the funeral home. If you're in an accident, your family members will have to identify your body. The funeral director will instruct your family members to bring a suit of clothes for you to wear. They'll want a picture so that they can, to the best of their ability, present you as you look to your own planet Earth. Your body's here. In a few days, a funeral will take place. Your life will be memorialized. Whatever is said about you on that occasion will be a reflection of how you lived here on this earth. I have had the honor, the privilege of conducting a number of funerals. The easiest by far are for those who have died in Christ. John wrote in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Paul said, to die in Christ is far better. It's gain. Abraham asked the question many years ago, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God's going to do what's right. So if you were to die honestly, where will you be? The Bible says that there are only two possibilities. In Luke chapter 23, you remember, you remember when Jesus was on the cross. One of the thieves that 
was hanged on that cross beside him, said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is the equivalent of Abraham's bosom in Luke chapter 16, verse 22. Those who die in Christ, if I understand what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 16, are born by the angels into that realm known as paradise. And there they will await the judgment to come. Paradise is identified as a place of rest, Revelation 14, 13. It is spoken of as a place of comfort, according to Jesus in Luke 16, 25. If you were to die in Christ tonight, that's where you will reside. You'll know exactly where you are one second after you've stepped out into eternity. On the other side of the coin, on the other side of the coin, there's a place spoken of by Jesus in Luke chapter 16 as a place of torment. The rich man, you recall, was said to have died and being in torments in Hades. Verse 23, Luke 16. In 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 4, Peter said, The angels that sinned, God cast down, some translations say hell. In the original, that word is spelled T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. It's called Tartarus in the original. It is the abode of the unrighteous. Those who step out into eternity outside of Christ, never having been baptized into Christ, those who are unfaithful to Christ, that's where they will reside. And that's where they will await the judgment to come. So, if you were to die tonight, would you be in paradise or torment? You'll only be in one of the two. Where will you be? One second after you, after you depart this life, your fate forever sealed. You will stay in this realm known as Hades until the second coming of Jesus Christ. When will that be? Well, Jesus said, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I do not know when Jesus will come again, but I do know that he will come because the Bible tells us explicitly that Jesus will come as a thief in the night. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the world as we know it will be destroyed. It will be burned up. So all the things that we work for and try to accumulate and all the things that we treasure in this life, gone. Just like that. When Jesus comes, the Apostle Paul said, He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him to meet the Lord in the air. You have to understand that when Jesus comes, the dead will be raised. The bodies that reside tonight in the cemetery will come forth. 
In John chapter 5, Jesus said, Marvel not, the hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, the tombs will be opened. Jesus said in John chapter, or rather in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, that he has the keys to the cemetery. One day the cemeteries will give up the dead. We will be ushered before the throne of an eternal God. One day, you will stand before the judge of all the earth. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, paradise will be emptied out. Tartarus will be emptied out. The Lord will come with all of his holy angels. He will be seated upon the throne of his glory. He will begin to separate people as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. Who's going to be there? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, all nations will be there. Paul said in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, the world will be there. And Paul would say to you and to me, we will be there. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. We shall all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. One day, known only to God, we'll stand before him in the judgment. And John said in Revelation chapter 20 that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and we stand before that great throne, that great throne the small and the great will be there and the books will be opened. The books that he's talking about, the word of God. What's important for us to understand is this book that we call the New Testament. This is going to be the standard by which we will be judged. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2 verse 2 that the judgment of God is according to truth. You're not going to be judged on the basis of what you think, of what you feel. We're not going to be judged on the basis of what the majority thinks. It's not going to be about what's politically correct. It's going to be what is biblically correct. How well do you know this book? When you open the contents of this book, do you understand that this is the only book that can get you to the place called heaven? The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway." The books will be opened. Will it matter whether or not I obeyed the gospel? You better believe it. Will it matter if time and again I rejected him? You better believe it. It'll matter. He will either say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. So we're going to stand before the judge of all the earth. We're going, to, we're going to give an account of the deeds done in the body. As John said, the books will be opened. Another book will be opened, which is the book of life. Could I ask tonight, is your name in the book of life? If you were to stand before God this evening, and he were to open the book of life, would your name be found written therein? I hope and pray your name's in the book of life, because if it's not... You don't have any hope. Once the judgment takes place, 
There will then be the assigning of destinies. As I said a moment ago, the Lord will say to us, to those who are on the right, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. We talk about heaven, we sing about heaven, we pray about heaven, we think about heaven, but are we going to heaven? Will that be our home? Will we one day dwell in that place that is identified by Peter as incorruptible, undefiled, it fades not away, he said it's reserved in heaven for you. Is that where you plan to spend eternity? Did you know that one second after you die, you're going to know whether or not you're heaven bound? The flip side is that if you haven't obeyed the gospel, if your life is not what it ought to be in Christ Jesus, here's what he's going to say. These words will be the most haunting, searing, sobering words you will ever hear. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. To hear the Lord say, you're hell bound. You don't want that, nor do I. But that's what he's going to say to those who are outside the realm of spiritual safety. One second after you die, you will know where you will spend eternity. That's to go to heaven. And we want you to go to heaven. I want you to understand that when lessons like this are presented, they're not presented to hurt anybody. They're presented to help people. Sometimes we need a jolt. But we all need to be reminded of things eternal. At some point in time, whether we like it or not, we're going to be in eternity. And so my question to you, where will you spend eternity? Try to wrap your mind around something that never, ever, ever, ever ends. Because that's what we're talking about.